Welcome back to the Rare Disorders Digest. Thank you for joining us. Today, you're listening to episode one of our special feature on rare neurological disorders. We'll be focusing on Dravet syndrome, DS, and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, LGS, which are both classified as epileptic encephalopathies. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Professor Rima Nabu. Professor Nabu is the director of the National Center for Rare Epilepsies at the Necker Enfant Malade Hospital in Paris, France. She is a member of the steering committee of EpiCare, that's the European Research Network on Rare and Complex Epilepsies. She is also the president of the Task Force for Transition in Epilepsies into Adulthood at the International League Against Epilepsies, ILAE. We're thrilled to have you with us today, Professor Nabu. Thank you. Right, let's get right to it. Professor Nabu, could you help us understand what epileptic encephalopathies are and how Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome both fit under this category of diseases? I think that today the definition of epileptic encephalopathy is thinking about the Dravet syndrome and LGS is fits more in the developmental and epileptic encephalopathies. This is a group of epileptic disorders that often appears early in life, but they are characterized mainly by treatment-resistant seizures, by abnormalities on EEGs and mainly cognitive dysfunction and decline. And this cognitive decline is due both to the etiology of the disease and to the epilepsy, I mean the seizures and the abnormalities on the EEG. And when we think about DS and LGS, they really fit very nicely into this definition because they fulfill, in a way, the criteria of this definition. And what impact do these two diseases have on patients? So both these syndromes are chronic diseases that will affect the patients and their families. From one side, there are the seizures and the unpredictability of the seizures that are very that are highly impacting the quality of life, but there are definitely the cognitive, the behavioral, and the motor issues that are additional problems from which the patients suffer. Which And all of this gives for the caring for the individual with these diseases, the families and other caregivers, big difficulties because these patients are not fully autonomous. So for daily life activities, family relationship, and uh, even a normal social life, they are not able to uh, handle that. And then we have many surveys and questions for the families of those patients showing how, how uh, the families should handle this as one parent will stop, for instance, his work. Uh, parents, they suffer more uh, problems as uh, depression, as anxiety and so on. So it's really important to think when we think about those diseases, about the impact on the patient, definitely, but also about the impact of the familial nucleus, including the parents, but also the sisters and the brothers. Thank you for that summary on Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, Dr. Nabu. Joining us now is Lisa Foster, the Chief Executive of Rare Disorders New Zealand. 
With diseases like Dravet's syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which both tend to present in childhood, could you tell us more about what's being done in support of advocacy for infants and children? Yeah, the first thing that is good to know about the issue of children, and given that 50% of people with rare disease are children, um, and obviously then their families are affected. So that would be covered within the United Nations resolution, which is looking at addressing the challenges of persons living with rare disease and their families. Um, One of the mandates is the need to promote and protect the fundamental rights of children. Within New Zealand, we actually have our Prime Minister who is stating that she wants New Zealand to be the best place in the world to be a child. So this is even more important potentially in in this country. The resolution that has been made recognises the fact that children living with a rare disease face multiple unique challenges which need to be addressed through advocacy. And some of those challenges are based on the fact that if the parents are not supported and then the parents cannot manage, obviously that's the worst possible outcome for that child. So really, um, these pieces of the puzzle fit together when it comes to advocacy. And it's a family focus. So if the family is protected, the child is protected. So I think that's the way that I would view it. Um, And some of the aspects around that are related to practical things like time off work. Um, If someone has a child with a rare disease, they're going to take time off work to take them to appointments and they're going to face mental health distress and concern. And I think those factors are really vital to the picture of protection and advocacy for children. Some of the challenges that these children face include the fact that they may not have the ability to speak for themselves. So they are speaking through their family members. And if their family members are unable or do not have the capacity to be able to have effective communication about the needs of that child, then the child is invisible. And I think that's where support groups And the system needs to step in and offer frameworks and pathways and mechanisms that can help the most vulnerable children who are facing such enormous challenges around their health and um, really the strength of their family. Yes, I think uh, the whole family does have to play a big part in it. And um, in your experience, what are the current key challenges associated with advocacy for children? The key challenges for advocacy for children um, have been laid out within some of the um, global rare disease action plan information, which is explained through APEC. Um, So this action plan came around in 2018, and it looks at key areas and key targets that that they wish to address. So some of these challenges are tied into the needs to have awareness and understanding. I think that's the basis of advocacy. If there's no recognition or awareness or understanding of what the needs are, then it's very difficult to rectify or solve that issue. Um, I think that that then comes back to data and information. So having data and information on how many children are affected 
and what those impacts are from, from the point of view of a rare disease registry or from key information on, on direct impact for children. Um, some of the insights that we have had in New Zealand um, have come from our own survey. So we do not, unfortunately, have recognition for rare diseases as a population in this country, in New Zealand. So we completed a survey through the National Patient Organization. Um, and from that survey, it shows key difficulties in navigating the complex arena um, for children and really hints back to the need for clear pathways to be illuminated and having opportunities for shared learning, shared support, shared connection, um, and shared understanding. So I think another aspect of this is also related to education and awareness for medical people, for GPs, for specialists, and for midwives, people who are seeing these children and working with these children directly. If they are able to have awareness and understanding of the challenges, because they are common challenges for children with rare disease, if this is an understood and appreciated part um, of awareness, then again, there can be more compassion, more understanding, more acceptance. And I think a lot of it is to do with a positive attitude by that health professional and a willingness to learn more about the condition and to learn more about how they can help support that family which then obviously helps to support the child that they are treating and caring for. Yes, thank you for your input. Yes, I think the healthcare professional is an integral part of uh, caring for children with rare diseases. Yeah, one aspect that can be a challenge that has come up internationally, actually with the collaborative, uh, collaborative Global Network for Rare Disease Group, um, we actually had a workshop on that today, um, the discussion is around disability and rare disease, and the challenge for every country is how do we specify and define a rare disease separately from a disability when some actually will meet the criteria for disability and some may not. Um, the challenge in New Zealand around this is even more of a concern. Um, because we have a current health restructure and within that health restructure we will be establishing a ministry for disability. If we do not have a specified component for rare disease then they may be locked within that and, and not visible within that, so left behind. So the hope is internationally to have a specific avenue or pathway for people with rare disease that is separate from the disability um, criteria or the disability identification. Um, this is even more so when it's an undiagnosed condition. And this is the question that will be continued, um, I think, to tease out. So maybe it needs to be defined as rare undiagnosed condition um, and even more so again when it's a child um, what help and support 
and how do we get clear pathways to get access to help and support when it is an invisible or a more difficult to define disease type. So if it's a clear disability that is going to be um, held within the remit of Ministry for Disability, but if it is not um, an obvious disability and it's more of a complex array of impairments, which does meet the social model of disability, and yet people may be left behind because of the way that that's interpreted and the way that each country has criteria or boxes to tick. Um, and that is, a, that is a real concern for these children who are the most marginalized. And also, in a way, it's systemic discrimination against such children. And we will be creating more harm for those children who don't meet that criteria. I think it's an extremely important area for further discussion. This concludes episode one. You've been listening to Red Disorders Digest, brought to you in association with Takeda Pharmaceuticals Asia Pacific. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we will focus on the clinical presentation, diagnosis, and treatment of Dravet syndrome. Follow and subscribe to receive updates on future episodes.